Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another Brickless.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Julian Richards. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here um, in lockdown. Indeed, indeed. It's my... Uh, I, I, I made the uh, schoolboy error of... Um, thinking I'll get some podcasting done while the lockdown's on. And then I found doing doing a podcast every day was just exhausting because of all the other people I had to speak to on the phone now because I couldn't meet them in the flesh anymore. Uh, so I've spaced them out a bit now. So it's good to uh, find time to speak to you, though. Yeah, yeah. No, I know I know what you mean. I'm uh, using Skype and Zoom and uh, this form of communication a lot more than I'm used to. And it's actually quite, um, you know, it's quite tiring. So uh, I can imagine. So we've come to talk about your new movie, um, Reborn. Do you want to give uh, the listener a brief synopsis to what it's about, please? Sure. Well, uh, Reborn is a a nostalgic uh, horror, uh, very sort of um, influenced by classic uh, paranormal horror films of the 80s and 90s, films like Carrie, Scanners, Fury, Firestarter. Um, And it's the story of... um, uh, sort of a fading um, uh, Hollywood actress who's been in a lot of horror movies, a lot of B movies, um, uh, who um, uh, is has an opportunity to audition for a, a Peter Bogdanovich, her one big opportunity in her career. But in order to really sort of deliver in in her audition, she has to overcome an obstacle that's sort of been in her way um, ever since she was, you know, a lot younger. Um, and that's the fact that um, she um, she she was about to become a mother. She gave um, she she gave birth to a stillborn child, um, and um, and, uh, and and has never become a mother and has never really recovered from that incident. Um, and she feels she she doesn't even know where where the where the baby was buried. So so she she needs to sort of get closure on that, and she goes in search really of her of her dead daughter. Um, meanwhile, um, uh, uh, when we um, start Reborn, um, the film, um, it, we, we start it from the point of view of the daughter, um, uh, stillborn baby in a hospital morgue, um, suddenly hit by um, uh, 
a huge uh, blast of electricity from an, an electrical storm, Frankenstein style, and is reanimated. Um, and um, and uh, the, uh, the, the morgue attendant, um, uh, who's a bit of a sort of a, a weirdo, decides not to tell anybody and take uh, the baby home to his house and bring her up as his sister. Um, so now she's come to uh, the uh, the age of 18, uh, 16, sorry, it's her birthday, um, and, um, and she wants to know who her mother is. Um, but um, uh, the, the morgue attendant uh, refuses to tell her, and not only that, wants to seduce her. Um, uh, wants to molest her. Um, so um, uh, what she discovers um, is that uh, she has special powers. Uh, she has the, the power to manipulate electricity. It's sort of like telekinesis, but, but it's actually electrokinesis. She's able to manipulate any electrical object um, and use it as a weapon against anybody that, you know, uh, um, uh, is a, is a, is a, she sees as a, as a threat to her. Um, so she, she uses that power to um, to kill um, the morgue attendant and escape and go in search of her birth mother. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting sort of setup because while she she the the sixteen year old is is the focus of the story as well as the the uh, aging actress is the I guess the hero of the story. It's it's. It's hard in, 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 in sort of story terms to think of her as the bad guy, but she's the one doing the killing. Yeah, she's, she's um, uh, I think the thing that engaged me about the script when I first read it was, you know, this mother-daughter relationship, uh, this dynamic. You know, you've got, um, you know, it's sort of a monster uh, wanting to meet its creator effectively, but it's not a monster. It's a, you know, it's a young girl, young teenage girl. Um, who who's had a very unfortunate upbringing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You feel empathy for her. I mean, I, I was very much influenced um, as a kid um, by films like King Kong and, and classic monster movies like Frankenstein. Um, so, you know, I remember feeling very upset at the end of King Kong when when Kong is, is finally, you know, um, pays pays uh, the price of... of Falling in love with uh, Faye Ray, I suppose, um, and um, and that's such a, tra- a tragic ending. Um, and Frankenstein too, you know, the monster, um, the only the only sort of character that will accept the monster in the film is a blind man. Um, and um, you, you you sort of uh, St- Stephen King sort of defines this as um, embracing the mutant. Um, so uh, for me, Tess. The sixteen-year-old teenage girl is a tragic figure. She's a, she's an anti-hero in a way, but she's ultimately a, a tragic figure um, that, uh, that that we feel empathy for. And and sort of what's what sort of stage was was this at when when you got hold of um, is it Michael Mahin or Mahin? Do I pronounce it the writer? Well, they got hold of me actually. I mean, um, what happened was um, uh, uh, producer John Penny. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who um, uh, runs a writing class at LA Film School, uh, and he's a very, a very close friend of Brian Usner. Um, they Return of the Living the... Dead, um, part three, did he write? Three. That's right, yeah, yeah. Um, he, um, in fact, they approached me in Cannes. They came into my booth and they said, look, we're, we want to make this low-budget film and we're looking for a director. Have you got 
anybody you would recommend? And I said, yeah, yeah and me. <laughs> uh, I was and, nice with uh, you recommend yourself, innit? Yeah, exactly. So they, they, they gave me the script that night. I read it the following morning and basically got the job. I mean, I'd known Brian for a long time and we'd been wanting to work together on, 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 on a film and it never quite happened. So, so now this, this, this was the opportunity for us to work together and by, well, it's more than coincidence, but we ended up shooting a lot of the film in Brian's house. Um, the house that uh, O'Neill, the, the Hollywood actress lives in is, is actually Brian's house in Hollywood Hills. Wow, so very authentic. Then. <laughs> um, it, it is. I mean, we, um, we, we, we went in there with the production designer and, um, you know, we, we didn't have much time to prep and we didn't have much budget either. So when we went inside, this was a house that belongs to a, a you know, a horror movie director. So it's full of, of posters and, and just sort, sort of um, antiquity from, uh, from Brian's career. And that, that, that's interwoven, if you like, with Barbara's career, because Barbara was in films that Brian produced, like, uh, the the beyond and and um, reanimator um so all these posters were up on the wall and i just thought well we don't need to change a thing in brian's house you know this this is this works as a lena o'neill's house um and uh, i was looking i mean the reason why we ended up in brian's house is we were looking everywhere for a house um uh, that would work for the film and a lot of the houses that were available were just just weren't right you know there was nothing about them that 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 was cinematic and i was looking for old hollywood um my, my my sort of vision for the piece i was thinking of edward and i was thinking of you know tim burton in a way and, and 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 creating this kind of old hollywood art deco kind of vibe um and um and brian's house sort of fitted that perfectly so in terms of in terms of the script what what did you get did you get to get your hands on it much in terms of in terms of uh, right on, on the writing side when you when you got it or was it was it just good to go for you well the, there were lots of things that needed to be sorted um first of all uh and what, one of the biggest things was um uh, lena o'neill um didn't appear in the script till about 30 pages in oh my word so <laughs> so the character the protagonist was was tess the 16 year old girl um and and then it sort of switched to lena after act one and I thought well that's not going to work because we're not making psycho here um this is you know it, it, it's the writer hasn't decided who whose story we're telling um so I thought well um uh, who who is this film about is it, is it Tess or is it Lena um and I fell down on Lena's side because ultimately I, I thought that she was the one that had you know this agenda to um, to achieve this goal to achieve, and that was to to get the part in the Peter Bogdanovich film. Um, she had the, these obstacles in her way, which were to, you know baggage to do with her past, and then her past in the form of her teenage daughter turning up and and killing all of her uh, her friends and agents and and what have you. Um, so so it was um, you know I, I thought this is more Lena's story, um, and um, also I, I thought that. With Tess um, being the monster, so to speak, it's better to keep her in the shadows um, and better to keep her more of a mystery. Um, because if you decide her and follow the story um, uh, through with her, because she's spending the whole film killing people, she, it, it's, it's not very easy to, to side with her. 
No, and her, and her agency is fairly straightforward, isn't it? Her, 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 her whereas Lean has got us. She's got a story in her life to tell, and obviously there's there's this thing happening right in the middle of it. So you get the sense of a person as much as you get the you know the the horror. Yeah. Plus, you know, even though I loved the whole sort of mother trying to meet her, uh, trying to find her daughter and daughter trying to meet her mother, um, a little bit like you know in in um, in Blade Runner, you know, with um, with um, the Rutger Hauer character wanting to meet its maker. This is sort of there was that element. It was very strong, um, but but the whole um, uh, girl with with paranormal powers has been done before, over and over again. Um, and and I, and 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 my feeling was, what can I do um, with this that that hasn't been done before? And and the you know, yes, there was an electrokinesis, and that is a different spin on telekinesis. But still, this felt a little bit sort of. Um, of an old idea, um, so um, so that led me down the nostalgia route. I, as a sales agent, I, I was selling a film that Barbara Crampton was in called Beyond the Gates, and one of the the strongest ingredients in Beyond the Gates was whole sort of throwback retro nostalgia aspect to it, and um, uh, and I thought actually that would work in Reborn if if I played it in that direction and just instead of trying to hide the fact that it's so inspired by Carrie and Firestarter and Fury and Scanners, instead of hiding that fact, just to embrace it and go with it, um, but to to um, to 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 sort of um, to celebrate paranormal, um, and then that that then that also took me in into the. The meta horror direction too, with the ending. So Lena, so Lena was Lena always an actor then, or was Lena not always an actor? Not Le- Lena was all, always an actress, yeah. Um, but um, uh, that ending, you know, I I I, embra- I embraced Carrie so so much with my um, uh, 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 draft of the script that I even you know had a, a little stab at the Carrie ending too. Yeah, yeah, let's um, not spoil it. Let's not spoil it because uh, it, it is a cute, it is a cute joke you pull at the end there. Yes, yes. So, so it's it's um, it's it, it's not only nostalgia; it's meta, and and that whole meta in, ingredient seemed to um, um, uh, increase exp- exponentially as we were making the film. Um, you know, it, it the nostalgia and and the meta sort of uh, uh, informed my casting. Um, uh, we originally started off with a different actress, um, and after a couple of days shooting, we realised it wasn't working. So, because I knew Barbara from uh, Beyond the Gates and Replace, um, I Facebooked her and asked her, asked her if she was available to to um, to, to come and, and and replace the actress that we were you know that we were shooting with, um, and she was available, and um, and she came down literally in a couple of days. Um, and we were able to, you know, um, ditch the first few days of shooting and start again with Barbara. Um, I actually wanted Barbara from the get-go, but the producers already had cast um, that part, so I couldn't, I couldn't change it. But um, in a way, I sort of got my way through the first actress not working out. Um, and what what enabled that to happen was we were closed down for a couple of days by the LA fires, um, and, and that was a big setback because our insurance wouldn't cover the fires. Um, it did give me thinking time, you know, um, um, to go, mm, this isn't working out. 
it's not going to work out by trying to make it work. Um, uh, uh, We may as well just um, make a big decision and and change cast. Um, And um, so out of a problem came came a came a you know something that actually saved the film. And with and with um, Barbara in that role, you've got Barbara Crampton. Just, just to make sure people understand, we're talking about um, you. You bring all of that, all those, all those notions of meta that you want to bring to the film. You sort of you you have it to a point, don't you, with Barbara in the role as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when when you've got Barbara in Brian's house with posters of you know um, of uh, Beyond and and Reanimator on the on the walls and. Um, uh, it, it was, um, I got Ray Dawn Chong in, who I'd worked with before on Shiver. I got Monty Markham in, who um, I, I was selling a, a film called The Rift that he was in, and I'd met him in L.A. And I was basically on Facebook pu- putting the cast together. Mm. Uh, and wow. um, uh, obviously, you know, the, uh, you know the, the, the original thought was to get Brian De Palma involved with uh, with it as well but we couldn't get hold of brian so um our casting director said well i know peter boganovich um so we we um we shifted the uh the de palmer idea to um, bogdanovich and we, and we got uh, peter bogdanovich in for uh, for a couple of hours yes that was uh, that was a that was a pleasant surprise for that to become reality <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i, I mean i the, there were times when i thought i was um, ha- having a dream, it was like you know living in oblivion. Where I, th- I think I, actually it, it was Brian Usner that was living in oblivion because he would wake up every morning, come down with a coffee in his pajamas, and there would be a film crew um, around him, a horror B movie. Um, so um, yeah, it, it, it was all very strange. And and even on because Brian lives on a street in Hollywood Hills where a lot of famous people live. And um, and and what happens is when. When people get a notion that that, that 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 a shoot is happening, they wander down to the set just to see what's going on and and actually to see if maybe they can get in on the action. Um, and uh, yes, uh, so uh, Ron Jeremy turned up one day. Uh, he was he he was in Brian's Brian's garden having a meal with the crew, and I was thinking, what's Ron Jeremy doing here? Um, so, um, <laughs> uh, but we didn't get him apart now. <laughs> You know you're in Hollywood when. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So how was how was working with Barbara then, Julian? I mean, you say obviously your friends and you know her through working on films that she's already in, but there's a difference between sort of say, saying hello and having a chat with Barbara and, and promoting films she's in versus being her director and then working together and collaborating on something completely new. How how did you find that experience? Um, I, I got the impression from from meeting. Barbara um, earlier on that she, she that she's a true professional um, and she has years of experience um, she she doesn't have an ego um, she just wants to do her best for um, for any film that she works on and um, she's also done a lot of TV she was in the young and restless so she knows what it is to work on a very tight schedule with limited resources. You know, when uh, uh, originally when they approached me to direct Reborn, they said, we want to shoot it in 12 days. Um, and that I, long? I just said, <laughs> I said, that's impossible. You know, the, the, the last film I shot um, was Shiver. Um, and uh, that was 18 days. Hi, hi, we've got, um, we've got an invader. My son has joined me here. <laughs> I shot sh- Shiver in 18 days, 
and I and I just it's impossible to shoot a feature film in twelve days. Um, so um, eventually we we managed to to work out a fifteen day schedule, but I just knew it was going to be so tight that I needed an actress that could basically get it in one take or two takes at the most, and I knew that Barbara would do that because you know she's she's worked on TV um, like, like I have with Brookside. Um, you know, you know when you've got to shoot, you know, fifteen minutes a day, you know how to do it. And and what what do you think? What do you think she brought to the character that you you know when you when you when you were seeing the script first time round and when and you said like she was your first she was she was your first port of call if they hadn't already cast and then with the work you'd done on the script and bringing bringing the character to nearer to the front end of the story, um, what 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 do you think that she brought to the character that you that that you were like. You couldn't have imagined that you were like, yes, that that is, we're going there now. She brought herself to the camera uh, because the character was very much her, um, and that's that's actually why I wanted to cast her in the first place because I just thought this is Barbara Crampton, you know, this is. Um, I mean, she 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 never went through the trauma that that Lena O'Neill went through, but um, she's she's been through things that she you know that she could relate to in, in that context. So, um, yeah, I mean, as Barbara said, uh, you know, she makes jokes that, that Lena is her. She was playing herself. And, and, and that, for me, is better than acting. An important part of the casting outside of sort of Barbara, Barbara's familiar face to, to genre fans and the kind of meta element to what you were trying to, to create is the casting of Tess, um, which, which while while um, while we were just distracted there by your son, I was just quickly looking for the name, and because I couldn't think, I mean, Katie Gilbert is the name of the actor you, you cast, but I was looking at Return of the Living Dead Part Three because if looking at a, looking at how she looks and thinking of the main character in uh, Melinda Clark who played the zombie, the 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 gothic uh, zombie character in that, there's a very keen similarity. Did John? Did John? Did Penny say anything about that when in the casting of it, or was that casting done? Well, no, no, it's weird. I mean, because she actually went when uh, the, the scene in which she falls against the poster uh, for Return of the Living Dead, and there's like a trail of blood down 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 the poster. Um, um, so this is again one of these meta things that that that, that just occurred whilst we were making the film. Um, but what 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 happened with um, with uh, Kaylee Gilbert is. Um, you know, when you're looking for a 16 year olds, um, um, you know, chances are you're going to be dealing with uh, actresses that have not worked a lot before, if at all. Um, maybe you pluck them out of film school, out of school, actually, at a regular school. Um, and um, and therefore you have to work with them more. So that's where our casting director came came in handy. Um, she actually put together um, a shortlist of uh, of 10 uh, young actresses in LA and and uh, I I went uh, for an audition with all of them and whittled them down to two um and to begin with Kaylee was not my first choice she was my second choice uh, and I say that because Kaylee um was probably the best actress uh, you know the girl gave the best audition um but, um she she's very tall and and um and very striking looking but in an unusual way um um i thought it might be a little bit on the nose um to cast somebody you know so extraordinary looking as tess that i i i thought well let's let's play it more 
more realistic. Let's go for the girl next door. Um, and there was another actress who was slightly American Asian uh, looking, um, who was very good. But then I was thinking, well, who do I cast as the mother? Um, and, uh, you know, because I felt that they needed to be needed to, to convince. And I, and, and I just thought, well, that's that's that limits who, who I could look at for the mother. And um, and I, I was sort of on the fence. When I'm on the fence about making a decision, what I tend to do is I'll I'll ask all my collaborators. I'll go, well, who would you choose? And everybody came back with um, with Kaylee. Um, so I thought, well, I'm going to listen to that advice and and um, and change my mind and, and cast Kaylee. Um, and um, you know, Kate, Kaylee, um, I didn't realize it actually when I auditioned her because she convinced me with her American accent, but she's actually South African. Oh, really? So when, so when she turned up for the, re- the rehearsals, it, you know, it was like this really strong South Af- African accent. Um, and, uh, um, but you know. She, she just was so focused. She even had an acting coach on set, um, and she 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 was absolutely focused all the way through. Um, very nice, um, easy to work with, no ego, just just wanting to do the best. Very much like like Barbara. So they clicked. Um, they clicked. And actually, you know, when you look at their faces, both of them have very big blue or green eyes, um, and. And that's one thing. I mean, you know, the eyes are the windows to the soul, and what 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 makes a you know um, an actor or actress sort of work well on camera is their eyes. Um, and both both um, both of them had terrific eyes, photographically, um, and um, and uh, you know they looked kind of similar. Um, and then as as things evolved, especially with I mean, the whole goth look, was something that was brought brought in by our costume designer. Um, and I, I didn't want to take it too far. I wanted to keep it sort of a little bit sort of, um, you know, sort of in between. Um, but inevitably we were going towards an Edward, Edward Scissorhands and uh, Tim Burton's kind of um, take with the character. And, and there, there, there were times when when Tess was in costume and sort of walking around Brian's house. Um, that I thought well, she does look like, um, you know, a, a Tim Burton character come to life. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's um, the the whole experience with um, with Katie Gilbert. What were your conversations with her about that idea of being present? But obviously, it's about I guess it's about trying to act less is more. I suppose is what I'm trying to say. She was cautious about overdoing things, um, and um, um, you know, occasionally I, I would have to bring her down because she's not she's not a horror fan. She's not familiar with horror films, so. Um, so she was relying on me to be her critic to and to sort of to step in every now and again and say, you know, um, can you bring it down 10 percent, 30 percent, 50 percent even. Um, and I, I was doing that throughout. Um, um, but um, really, um, what was more important, I suppose, was her reaction to, you know, the the the, the mayhem that she was causing. Um, you know, does she enjoy it? Does she does she feel empowered by it? And and actually, no. Um, it's 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 a it's anger. It's it's anger management. Um, uh, when 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 she experiences um, the, the electrokinesis, it's it it's a product of her getting angry, and it's and it's, and it's something that she can't control. 
and and therefore when it happens and somebody gets hurt uh, she she feels very bad about it um and um uh, you know so what 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 was more important was her reaction to what she's just done um and so and and she would always ask me that what's what's my reaction to this and 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 it, it, it was always you know um plus this is the first time that the character has actually experienced this phenomena and so she's getting used to it she's 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 learning about what she can do and what she can't do yeah because because kind of like her inauspicious start in life means that in a sense this 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 point when she's looking for her mother is essentially is, is coupled with discovering your magic powers and learning to be a person outside of where you've been brought up with this kind of in this this how the, the, the bad upbringing she's had is not the normal thing so she's got this anger this power and then the reality of the of the real world which isn't as oppressive as the one she'd grown up in there's a lot of sort of com complexity to her character plus she's you know she's um she's 16 she's a young woman uh, so that whole um process of you know um evolving from a child into an adult that's also part of it now what was your conversations like with um with brian sowell about um the look and feel of it is from a cinematographer point of view i mean we've covered both beyond the gates and sequence break on on the podcast before and it's interesting to see he's he's someone that he's worked on those films as well so in turn and but but obviously reborn is a very different looking film than both those yeah, well, Brian got involved. Um, uh, you know, I remember when um, when I was basically interviewed by John and Brian Usner, um, and and it was like, well, you know, do do I have contacts um, enough in LA to put together a crew? <laughs> you know, and my answer was, I rep lots of American films, um, and I'm familiar with with um, you know with lots of American filmmakers who will will be able to help me put together a crew. And of course, I went to um, Jackson, and I went to um, Graham, Greg Graham Skipper, director of Sequence Break, and and uh, uh, and and uh, every, and and, and Pad Padraig Reynolds as well um, from Worried Dolls and um, Rights of Spring, which which I also sell, and and they all recommended the same person. They all recommended Brian, um, and so um, I um, I met with Brian, and we got on very well. Um, and uh, we sat down and worked out what we were going to do with the film. And we decided, well, one of the, the, the things that was going to dictate was the fact that we had to shoot this very quickly. Uh, uh, and, um, you know, it wasn't a single location uh, film. It was multi-locations um, with lots of moves and lots of characters. So it was quite, it was quite ambitious. So we had to keep it simple. Um, and we, um, we, um, we decided to go for... A classic, a classical approach, you know, like the camera. Mo most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, camera was on a dolly. Whether it was moving or not, it was on a dolly, um, and that's that. That sort of style of cinematography is is very old school. It's it's it, it's like working in a studio. Even though you're on location, you're, you're treating the location as if you're in a studio. Um, you know, the opposite of that is, you know, if, if you're shooting on location, you, 
throw the camera on your shoulder and you and you whip, whip pan and zoom around a lot and it's all verite but the, this this was more sort of bl- bl- blocking out scenes in a very classic traditional way which was all part of the nostalgia of the piece you know that we um that's that that's part of the nostalgic look that we wanted to achieve yes in a sense it's like you want you want to make us look at what you're looking at not not have us chasing the image around yeah 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 um and 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 on top of that um we realized that um electricity was going to be an element in the film um and um that that would be there as a light source um and would be part of the mood and atmosphere of the piece um so um you know we 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 decided that um to use practical lights uh, as much as possible our reference there was seven so when you've got like the crime aspect of the film, when you've got Michael Pere um, sort of uh, going in and out of crime scenes, um, uh, we were sort of making them quite dark locations, interiors, um, lit by lights outside coming through windows with the interiors misted up with a bit of smoke. Um, and um, and if there was any pr- practical lights there, we would burn the practical lights out. So. So, um, you know, very much like seven. Um, so, yeah, those those were our, our reference points. Now, obviously, you're, you're an experienced director. And, and I think for the budding cinematographer who might be listening in, what would be what would be some advice for you for like that? Because obviously the first step was that you, you've reached out and who do you recommend? But then you meet Brian and then you you talk. So from that point of view, from when, when a cinematographer is meeting a director for the first time, what advice would you give to a cinematographer about how to, uh, how, to how best, from your point of view, how best to approach that meeting? Um, well, you know, I, I think the main thing is to, um, to have read the script and to have uh, put together, it's a good idea to put together a lookbook um, and have lots of references and, and to bring, you know, a, a visual su- suggestion to the film. Um, as a director, um, I often find that the first, you know, the, the first thing that I do not want to do is tell everybody what I want, because that's that's just um, taking away all the opportunities that you get from collaborating with other people. So what I prefer to do, uh, first of all, is 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 get them to tell me what they think would work. Um, and um, of course, I'll have my own opinions, but I won't really sort of. A voice that until I know what other people think um, and often what I find is that um, the end result is a combination of the two um, uh, alchemy of the two uh, but um, yeah that's um, so uh, it, it, it's it's and this is something that shouldn't just just be conversation it should be a show show that you've put some effort into it by putting together a lookbook um, have references to paintings, to photographs, to other films. Um, and um, uh, that's, that's how, you, how, 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 you, how you sell your craft to a director. Now, you mentioned there about the electricity and, and, and obviously that affecting the light on screen, but also from a VFX point of view, how problematic or challenging is, is, is getting electricity to be sort of visually exciting and but also appear to be dangerous on screen one of the challenges that we had was um i think we had nine days prep on this um i was i was quite sort of frightened by how quickly it went into production um and uh 
I think the uh, the practical effects team didn't really start work on the film until a couple of days before we started shooting. Um, so, and the budget was really tight. Um, so we didn't really have um, the time or resources to do a lot of practical effects. Um, so, um, plus we, we were shooting on real locations. So when you're on real locations, you can't access the lighting in a way that you could if you're in a studio. So again, again, you have all of these limitations. So what we tended to do more often than not was to, to, to defer the problem to post. We'll fix it in post. Um, and, um, and, uh, and for that, we needed to get a VFX team on board um, who had the capabilities to do that. Um, so a lot of the, um, the uh, you know, the electricity in the film is, is something that um, uh, the, the VFX team put on in, 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 post, in post-production. Okay, so not in camera then. That's right. But that became, I mean, we did have, we did have um, uh, certain fluorescent lights um, linked up to a dimmer so that when Tess was using her powers, we would um, uh, flash the, the lights on and off. And the more she used them, the quicker the flashing became. So we did have as a sort of a underlying bed um, to what was, um, uh, but and it wasn't enough. We needed to 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 uh, ramp that up um, in post, um, and we did, you know, through VFX. But the whole VFX thing was an interesting one because, um, you know, when you get the VFX team in, it's like getting the builders in. Um, and um, you say they make a mess uh, and drink all your tea. <laughs> yeah it, well there's that yeah but what 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 you'll find is that it takes it takes a lot longer than you first planned you know so oh, we, you know, we'll do this in a couple of weeks well actually you know it it takes a couple of months um and um uh also it's a new um element to the film um that is going to affect everything that you've previously done um, it, it might affect the edit. It might be. It might affect the tone of the film. Um, so, so you know, on, on to begin with, you're making a a supernatural drama, you know, like like Carrie, and then you, you you look at the film and you're making X Men X Men Four, you know, um, and um, so uh, um, the world the world was our oyster with VFX. We thought we could do all kinds of stuff. Um, and um, and we tried to, and we realised that we could, but but a lot of it didn't convince. Um, and you know, it looked like a special effect that had been put on in post. So then it became a process of refining. It's like working with an actor, you know, or a bad actor. Um, you 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 know, less is more, and you bring them down and down and down. So it, it took a um, a lot more time than I expected to um to get the uh, the effects to a point where um and actually the effects team were getting frustrated because they were going well it, you know it feels like we're not doing anything and and my response to that would be great that's exactly how it should feel yeah that must be that must be a a, a challenge for if you bring somebody in to do vfx and you go i don't want to notice that you're there they did sort of walk away from the you know the the post-production process saying oh we we learned something on this <laughs> you know because 
uh, and as as I did, I mean, it it, um, it 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 was difficult. It was difficult to get it right. Uh, and of course, the more time you spend on it, the more times you try different things, the more money it costs. Now, finally, then on on, on reborn, there's a, there's a num- there's a number of kills, and I don't want to, obviously don't want to be as giving away them all, but maybe maybe pick out maybe pick out one of them and uh, in terms of what was your from a from a shooting point of view maybe or or as a tease for those listening to get them tempted to see it what what was the most satisfying for you that you pulled off in terms of the uh, the kills that we see on screen again going back to my sort of pass on the script one thing i was even though the the drama content of the script the mother and daughter was very strong and it had a really you know strong emotional core to it um the kills in the script were a bit lame, um, and all they were written in such a way that I couldn't, I couldn't imagine how on earth I would be able to shoot what was written on the page. Um, so, so I had to sort of, um, you know, rewrite um, all all the death scenes and and try and try and write them in a way that that a they were they were achievable, um, and b that they served. <laughs> They served what I was trying to do with um, with uh, the tone of the film, um, and because this because I'd chosen nostalgia, um, I thought, well, here's an opportunity to to give, give a, li- a little nod to many of my favourite you know horror films of the 80s and 90s. So um, you know, there's a little nod in there to Christine, to Scanners, um, to The Omen, and in fact, it was The Omen. Um, as a franchise um, that that was probably the biggest influence because it's it's like murder set pieces you know that that you've got the the the, the story of the mother and daughter and then in between that you've got all of these murder scenes and um, so I wanted to make every murder a omen like event <laughs> you know uh, a, a a stunt killing. And and even one of them was in, a, in an elevator, which was an R2 Omen 2. Um, but the one that I'm most pleased about was um, is the nod to Christine, uh, which takes place in a parking lot um, with Ray Dawn Chong. Um, and this was, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of jump scares. Um, and uh, in fact, Jaws was the film that got me into filmmaking. And, and of course, that film has one of the best jump scares there is with the, with the head coming out of the hole in the boat. And I just thought, that's that, I, I, I want to do a scene here um, that really makes the audience jump to that level. Um, and, and I think I, 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 think I, I, I achieved it. Well, you got me. <laughs> if, 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 on, on the anecdotal evidence of this conversation, you got me with that one. I've actually watched the film with, with audiences. I mean, I, I went up to Manchester Fantastic Film Festival last year and um, – uh, uh, Ramsey Campbell was was watching Reborn, um, and uh, when that scene happened, um, I literally saw him jump out of, out of his skin. I mean, his his arms and legs were going everywhere. So that 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 was a uh, I, I felt very chuffed about that. Well, look, let's tell people then when and how they can see Reborn. Well, Reborn um, is being released by UK distributor uh, Lightbulb Film Distribution, um, and it's. Um, Digital release is May 4th, um, and uh, you can watch it on uh, Sky Store, uh, Virgin Movies, um, Amazon Prime, uh, iTunes, Apple TV, and Google Play. Um, And then May 11th, it's coming out on 
DVD. Um, and then sometime in August, it's going to be on the Horror Channel. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, congratulations on Reborn. Before you go, anything else, you, any other news you want to share with us or any films you're uh, you're, you're working on that, that have got release dates you want to, you want to let us know? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd still, um, uh, I know that um, the, 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 the first release of Daddy's Girl is going to be August 24th in Germany. Um, I'm not sure what's happening in any other territory uh, with that film, but um, for anybody who's interested in it, and it is a, it is a good film, um, uh, can, can get the DVD from Germany. Um, or the Blu-ray from Germany, even. Um, uh, and then um, I have, um, I did a segment um, uh, called Bad Santa um, in uh, uh, an anthology horror called Death Semba, um, which um, will probably be released in the UK around about Christmas time this year. I had the producers on just before Christmas. Yeah, it's it's extraordinary. I mean, they they um they, there's there's 24. There's actually 27. Uh, shorts all about five minutes long um and when they put it together it was about three hours um so I, I i persuaded them it would be a better idea to break it up into two volumes so uh, I, I remember them I telling I, me i remember them telling me yeah. well look Julie, it, just, got- it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving us your time on the britflix podcast alan parker said Sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.